Philippians chapter 2, and beginning at verse 17. The Bible says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you need the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that he ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, that I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. The title of the message this morning is Examples of Christian Service. Examples of Christian Service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, that these things are written for our admonition and for our examples, upon whom the end of the world have come. We know that we're living in this day and time. And Father, we're, to, we're here to be a witness and testimony for you, to live uh, a life that's pleasing and honoring to thee. Uh, you've given us the privilege to be your ambassadors in this generation. Father, I pray you'd help us, uh, help us to grow in our grace and knowledge of thee and learn from these examples you, and testimonies you've given to us in your word of real people in real time. So just pray that you speak to our hearts, challenge us, Lord, work and, and glorify yourself through your, your Son, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Bible is not merely a book of commands and instructions but is also rich with living examples of the commands and principles and the instructions that it gives us. Sometimes it gives vivid word pictures of great doctrines of the faith. For example, the intended sacrifice of Isaac, and then the ram that was caught in the thicket that was offered as a substitute in his place. Speaks of that substitute for us. Jesus Christ, the righteous. You know, pictures for that for us for that. Joseph, being sold by his brothers, warns us of the deceitfulness of sin rooted in envy. His own kin selling him as, as a slave. Yet the faithfulness of Joseph in great trials of affliction, an example of forgiveness, he not only forgave his brothers, but he provided for them. You know, clearly demonstrating complete forgiveness for us. And so we have the, all these stories in the Bible of real people living in real time and how they live for God. Some didn't live for God and the consequences of their sin and, and so on and so forth are all instructions for us, living examples for us. 
And here in Philippians chapter 2, we have examples again of Christian service for us. And three men that are mentioned. Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. And I want to look at those three this morning as we consider examples of Christian service. First of all, I want you to notice the offering of service. And this speaks of Paul. In verses 17 and 18 it says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. You know, this, the word offered here means to be poured out as a drink offering. The idea here, you know, we would say, well, he was just, you know, you know, maybe a guy's, you know, you, you, you're doing some hard, you're hard, or working hard a day and, and, or maybe you're in some strenuous task, some athletic event, and you're just, you're just, you're just giving it all. And, and when you're finished, you're just, we would say you're spent. I mean, you, you gave everything you had and you're just spent. You have nothing else to give. And that's the idea here. To spend oneself or be spent. And Paul said, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice of the service of your faith, I joy. It would be my privilege. I rejoice with you all. That's how we know he was southern. He said, you all. Uh, you know, he said, but, but he said, I'm willing to spend. He told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. He wrote to the churches in Rome and said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So be, you know, be, be a living sacrifice. Pour your life out to God, if you will. He said, this is your reason, which is your reasonable service. You know, it is reasonable of God to ask us, to, of us, our life. That's reasonable. The word reasonable means, means it follows reasons. It's, it's, it's good rationale. It follows logic. See, logic is based on what we see, and what we see tells us there's a creator, nothing creates itself. Logic says there is right and wrong, contrary to what the world says. Logic says there is a God to whom all shall give an account. Logic says there is life after death, and it is logical and reasonable to offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Did not Jesus say, he that, he that loses life for my sake, the same shall find it. Well, what should man gain if he, if he, he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? And so Paul said, I'd be offered. He was offering himself as a, like a drink offering, being poured out, being spent for God. This is logical. First Peter 5, 2 says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. There's the idea, again, willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And so, you know, that was addressed particularly to the pastors. They're to, they're to, they're to take the, the office or to feed the flock willingly. Be willing to be spent. To give yourself as a drink offering with a ready mind. In Titus chapter 3, verse 1, he also says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. 
So again, this is, this is, this is reasonable that we are ready to every good work. First John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. So again, this is a reasonable thing. The word grievous here means that they're not heavy, they're not burdensome, they're not cruel. You know, God's commandments aren't heavy. They aren't burdensome. Your know, sin is burdensome. It's a weight that people carry. You know, the wage of sin is death. You know, that's a weight of guilt that a man would carry. But the gift of God, you know, gifts, are gifts burdensome? You know, people, sometimes people, I've heard people say, well, I can't do that because it'd be too hard to live for God. Well, I haven't found it hard. I have to deny this flesh, that struggle. But it's much, the, 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 the being, being, living for God, pleasing the Lord, and walking in fellowship with Him is, is much freer than living over here in sin and knowing I'm in sin and being guilty and constantly condemned. Proverbs says the way of the transgressor is hard. You know, Paul, who offered his life as a living sacrifice, he suffered many trials and persecutions, and he would say to you today that that was the better life than the one he had before. Constantly going around and resting men and women and, and, and men, women, and children, and hearing the cries of those children, how their fathers were taken, the cries of those children whose mothers were taken, and, and these things would, would, would haunt his conscience for a heavy burden. But he gave that burden to the Lord and received him as his Lord and Savior. And he said, Now I'm willing to be offered, be spent for the Lord. Peter says in 1 Peter 2 5, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You know, it should bring joy, it brings joy into one's life to be a living sacrifice for the Lord. You know, when the children of Israel took the Ark of the Covenant into battle and were defeated by the Philistines. There was great mourning in Israel. But the day that David had the priest carry that Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, there was great rejoicing in Israel. So there needs to be an offering of ourselves, of service to the Lord. It'll bring joy in your heart. And life. Secondly, we see not only the offering of service, we see the purpose of service. In verses 19 through 23, the Bible says, But I trust the Lord Jesus sent Timotheus shortly unto you, that it also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. You know, the, the name Timothy, the name Timothy means honoring God. And I want to notice several things about this man, Timothy. And we see here his, the purposes in his service. First of all, he, there was this like-minded 
It was like-mindedness. That word like-minded means of a similar spirit. We would say he was like in thinking or opinion. So he, he, he thought like, he had thinking patterns that were like the Apostle Paul. And this is what it means, to be like in thinking, like in spirit, like in attitude. So, you know, Paul's thinking, his concern, you know, Paul's thinking here, and his concern is the church at Philippi. And so he tells the church at Philippi that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to send Timotheus, Timothy, unto you shortly because he's like-minded like me. In other words, Paul's concern was for the church at Philippi. That means that Timothy's concern was the church at Philippi. He was like-minded. He was, he was, he was, this is God-like thinking. Uh, you know, Paul here is in prison. Uh, and, and we know from this the passage that though he's in prison, his concern is the children of uh, uh, the church at Philippi, and this is God-like thinking. You know, was Jesus concerned about himself? Was he consumed with his needs being met? Uh, which was he concerned, concerned and consumed with his own comfort? No, he was concerned with the souls of men. That was his thinking. You know, even in the garden when 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 uh, when they came to arrest him, he, he said, let these go. In other words, referring to the disciples. He didn't want any of them to be, be charged or arrested with him. He was concerned about them. And that's, that's God-like thinking. Psalm 103, verses 11 through 14 says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. You see, this is the, this is the, the mind of Christ. He is, and the mind of God, and Paul's thinking, and Timothy's thinking, Paul said, Timothy is like-minded like me. He thinks like I do. He's not consumed or concerned about himself. He's concerned about the churches. He's concerned about you believers at Philippi. You know, this church was, was born in adversity, in affliction, in persecution, and, and, and Paul wasn't able to stay there very long, so he's concerned about them, their welfare. You know, this is the mind of Christ, as we saw in, in chapter 2, verses, verses 5 through 8, where it says, Let this mind be in you, which also in Christ Jesus, who, did, being in the form of God, thought it not right to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man, and he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That was Christ's like mindedness. And, and second thing we see here, this, this like mind, this Christ-like mind is a natural outgrowth of the work of God within. Notice verses 20 and 21 where it says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Now, when he says, Timothy will naturally care for your state. Now let me ask you a question here before we get to explain that. Is it human nature... To be concerned about others. No. So when, when Paul says of Timothy, he will naturally care for your state, he's saying that Timothy is a man that's controlled or led by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is directing in his life. He won't be, he won't be governed by the flesh. And so he's going to naturally, because the Spirit of God is leading him, it's going to be natural for him to be concerned about you or care for you. 
He's not seeking his own welfare, but the things which are Jesus Christ. See, this is, this is a natural outgrowth of the work of God within. You know, when a person sets their heart, their will on Christ and His will, this mind, this thinking will become the philosophy that drives their life. When you surrender your life to Christ, when you give your life to Christ, this philosophy, philosophy of, of, of Christ-like-mindedness, not, not, not seeking your own profit, but the profit of others and the profit of Jesus Christ, will become your philosophy of life. The word naturally here means genuinely, faithfully, sincerely. It becomes who you are. It should become who you are as a Christian. You know, Paul wrote to the church at Galatia. And the church is in Galatia. In Galatians 2.20, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. In, in Galatians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, he says, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified in me and I into the world. For in Jesus, Christ Jesus there is ne- there, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Paul says, I'm a new creature. You know, the old Paul, the old Saul, sought his own will. He sought his own way. But the new Paul seeks the things that be of Jesus Christ. And Timothy, God has worked in Timothy's heart and and Timothy's life, and Timothy is of like mind. He's not seeking his own care, but the things which are Jesus Christ. This was Paul's testimony of Timothy, and his life proved it. Uh, You notice in verse 22, But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. You see, what he's saying is, look, Timothy has haphazarded his life to travel with me. And you know all the things that Paul endured traveling to preach the gospel. He said, Timothy likewise has, has denied himself. And followed me and been faithful and genuine with me all through all these trials of life. He's proven himself. Timothy had exhibited, he had demonstrated a genuine, faithful testimony under trial and temptation. And Paul had such confidence in Timothy that he would send him as his representatives. He was willing to send Timothy in his place. Sometimes I ask myself, does the Lord have confidence in me? Do I genuinely represent Him? Does my life project a Christ-likeness? For all seek their own. You know, what drives your life? What governs your actions? Are you seeking your own? or seeking the things which are Jesus Christ. You know, it ought to be said of us that we seek those things which are of Jesus Christ. And so, 
we see here the purpose of service, and that is Jesus Christ, seeking the things that be of Christ. Thirdly, we see the practice of service. In verses 25 through 30, we have several things here I want to mention, and this is in the life of Epaphroditus, and the, and the name Epaphroditus means lovely. Um, but, but anyway, I must notice several things concerning Epaphroditus. First of all, he was a he, Paul kind of, or called him a fellow laborer. Verse twenty-five it says, "Yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants." So he was considered a fellow laborer. It means he was a laborer together. He worked together in getting the gospel and ministering to the saints. He administered to the saints at Philippi. You know, he would he would. He was one who not only that you know was helped with Paul and others and, and helped them in the churches, teaching them to observe all things as commanded in Matthew chapter twenty eight verse twenty, where it says to, we were teaching them to observe all things, uh, uh, and so on. So so as labors together with God, it ought to be desire our desire to see people saved and grow into a mature relationship with the Lord, and that was Epaphroditus's desire. This is what he was doing. This is what he was about. And, and so we ought to be seeking the growth of other believers. Not only the salvation of the lost, but the growth of other believers, the maturing, the perfection. In 2 Corinthians 13, 9, Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, For we are glad when we are weak and ye are strong. This also we wish, or we, this also we desire, even your perfection. You know, Paul said, you Corinthians, I want to see some growth. I want to see some maturity. You know, he, he, he had, he had, he had, uh, rebuked them for their childishness. You know, their, their bickering and their divisions that were, that were in the church. You know, one following, so I follow Paul and I follow Peter and I follow Paulus and, you know, and I follow Christ. He said, that's childish. He told them in 1 Corinthians 13, when I became a man, I put away childish things. You know, he was pretty plain with them. And he said, what I desire is your Perfection. That word perfection means your maturity, your completeness. Go on to perfection. And so it was Paul's, it was Epaphroditus' desire for believers at Philippi to be vessels of honor for the Lord. And, and Paul said in verse 26, For he longed after you all, was full of heaviness. And so he longed. He, he was concerned, he was burdened. That word heaviness has the idea of burdensome. He was burdened for the growth and spiritual condition of the church at Philippi. You know, that, that ought to be the, that is the burden of a pastor. 1 Peter 5, 2. The burden of a pastor is to feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So the burden of a pastor is to feed a flock of God. It's just like a, a, a shepherd leads his sheep to the, to the, to the green pastures where they can grow and mature and into maturity and, and to the still waters so they can get water and again so that they can grow up into maturity and, and that's ought to be desired of pastor to feed his people. That's why we have his word. To teach and instruct in the way to live the Christian life. And this was Epaphroditus' desire was to be a fellow laborer. Paul told the church of Corinth again, First uh, Corinthians three nine, we are laborers together with God, and so we ought to be 
uh, involve teaching and instructing others in the way to live the Christian life. You know, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Again, the word perfect means to complete, to mature, to brought to full growth. That is God's desire. It ought to be our desire uh, as Christians. We ought to be practicing in our Christian life. You know, Second Peter 3.18, again, but grow in grace in the knowledge of the Lord and, and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be both glory, both now and forever. Amen. So Epaphroditus was a fellow laborer, laboring for the growth and maturity of those at Philippi. But not only was he a fellow laborer, Paul calls him something else here in verse uh, 25. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor, and fellow soldier. But your messenger, he that ministered to my wants. He said he's also a fellow soldier. And in verse 30, he says, Because for the work of Christ he was nigh in death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. He didn't regard his own life. He, he was considered a soldier in the Lord, with the Lord, for the Lord. You know, an associate in labors and in conflicts for the cause of Christ. You know, there are conflicts in the work of the Lord. Paul faced conflicts many times. And some of it came, you know, a lot of it came from the world, but some of it came from false brethren. There was conflicts. Constantly conflicts. You know, there are some who want to labor, but they will abandon the cause when conflicts arise. They don't want to fight. They don't want to get their hands dirty. They don't want to get injured. You know, Paphroditus says of him, because for the work of Christ he was not in death, not regarding his own life. You know, a soldier in battle isn't to regard his own life. It's not to regard his own life. But there are many who are afraid. Judges chapter 7, remember Gideon's army? And the Lord said to Gideon, Now therefore go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return, depart early from Mount Gilead. And the return of the people, twenty. 2,000. And there remain 10,000. So Gideon tells his soldiers, hey, if you're afraid, if you're fearful, you can go home. You know, wouldn't you like to have a 32,000 man army and you go out, you know, and you're thinking all these are brave men. Boy, we've got a good sized army here, so we have a good chance of winning this battle. And the Lord says, no, first thing you do, Gideon, is you tell those that are afraid that they can go home. And you lose two-thirds of your army. Two-thirds were afraid. They didn't really want to fight. They didn't want to get their hands bloodied. They didn't, they didn't possibly want to be injured on the battlefield for the cause of the Lord. They didn't want to do it. Oh, this isn't for me. I didn't sign up for this. You 
You know, we want to enjoy victory, but we don't want to fight for it. We want a close relationship with God, but we don't want to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil for it. Let's just preach the gospel. You know. You know, I've been in the ministry long enough now to have seen what that philosophy leads to. It just preaches the gospel. It don't preach separation, holiness. Just preach the gospel, brother. What that philosophy leads to is apostasy. Weak and anemic Christianity. It becomes a form of God that denies the power thereof. When men will not stand and fight for the truth, it reveals the condition of their hearts. Psalm 78 verse 8 says, And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God, the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying burrows, turn back in the day of battle. You see, the problem wasn't that they didn't have, that they were not armed. The problem was that their heart was not right with God. Therefore, they did not want to fight. They didn't want to fight. You know, we live in a day where churches are falling left and right. Don't want to stand. You know, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 48.10, Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully, and cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from blood. In other words, if you aren't, ready to, if you aren't willing to fight for the Lord, to stand for what is true, for what is right, God said it's cursed. Jude verse chapter 3, or chapter 1, there only is one chapter. Jude verse 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was an evil for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude, Jude says you need to earnestly contend. You need to struggle. You need to be willing to fight. You need to be willing to stand. Fight for the truth. Again, Epaphroditus said he for the work of Christ he was nigh under death, not regarding his own life. You know, sometimes being willing to fight means that we get our hands dirty, we get wounded, we get hurt. People leave us, people desert us. There will be casualties. Some will not stand and will therefore depart. from the church and from the faith. Well, see, Epaphroditus was one who was willing to fight. He was a fellow soldier. He was willing to risk his own life for the cause of Christ. And you and I need to be willing to risk our own lives. We need to be willing to stand. You know, I praise the Lord for men that are standing. Not capitulating to government mandates. To forsake the assembling of themselves together, as man of some is. You know, this was the this was the, the the 
characteristic of the early church. They were willing to stand. Look at go to go to Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four. <clears throat> Acts chapter 4, verse 1, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now even died. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of them men was about 5,000. It came to pass on the morrow that the elder, rulers and elders and scribes, and asked the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power, by what name, have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, saith unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what man means he is made whole, be it known unto you all, unto all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole, this is a stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Beholding the man which was, healing, was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them, is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth no more to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge you. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which is done. And the man was about 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. And of course, this continued throughout chapter 5 and throughout the book of Acts. You go to chapter 5 and verse 28, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? Behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring us bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be prince and savior, or to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. You see, these men were willing to give their lives. If they kill us, so be it. If they injure us, they persecute us, so be it. We cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. We have to obey God rather than men. Epaphroditus gives to us a good example of one who is willing to obey God above men. He was willing to give of his own life to supply their lack of service for the work of Christ. You know, there are conflicts in the Christian life. You know, I've heard many people say, 
that some of the worst conflicts they've had in life came in churches. And sometimes it happens. You know, James 4 says, there's not fightings and wars among you. You know what that means? There was fighting and war in the church. That's what it means. Exactly what it says. There was people at war with each other. We're in a war. We're in a spiritual war against the God of this world. And we have to be willing to fight the good fight of faith. Oh, we're not fighting it with guns. We're fighting it with the truth of the Word of God. We may face guns. We may face prosecution. We don't know. That's not for us to determine. What is determined for us is that we need to be willing to be soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to Timothy sometime later in... uh, I think it's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. In verse 3, he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle themselves with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Epaphroditus did not please himself with the affairs of this life, but he chose to please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. If a man also strives the master, he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. So we're to strive as soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you willing to fight? Are you willing to fight your own flesh, to fight the world, to, to not give in, to capitulate to the world's pressures? Are you willing to stand for the truths of the Word of God? You know, these are the examples we have of people in the New Testament. Like David's mighty men who would stand and fight, kill the giants, take back the land from the enemies. So we must stand. We must fight. You know, have you offered yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice? Have you made it your purpose in life to live for Christ? I mean, would that come naturally? Is it genuine, sincere? Are you an example of Christian service? Are you willing to be a laborer and a soldier together with Him to endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, to endure afflictions, to endure uh, persecution for His sake? You know, all these things Jesus endured. And we are here in this time in this place as his representatives. Again, Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3, and he says, Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by, by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. You know, the world is looking 
for Christians who will stand for the truth. Your standing for the truth demonstrates to the world that you really believe God. It means you believe God. You have confidence in Him. You take Him at His word. That you're sincere, that you're genuine, that you're real. So are you willing to stand? Are you willing to fight? Have you offered yourself as that living sacrifice?